0: All right, hello, and welcome to the Lou Harry Gets Real podcast. It's a podcast about arts, culture, plays, puns, and stumbling forward through life. My name is Jason Adams, your announcer and co-host for the evening, and I am thrilled to welcome you to the fourth episode of this experiment in conversation, music, and live recording from the Oxford Room of the Aristocrat Pub. Our guest tonight... Our actor-musicians, Tim Grimm and Jan Lucas, plus all you good folks who have filled the Oxford room. Make some noise, ladies and
1: gentlemen. Ah!
0: Now, now please welcome a guy who ghost wrote a column for Pete Seeger, received monosyllabatic responses when questioning a very young Harry Connick Jr., and danced for a few seconds with Rosie Perez often judge, (laughs) he often judges books by their covers,
2: and now has an
0: aristocrat's signature drink named after him. It's called the Harry Lou. Please put your hands together one more time for your host, Mr. Lou Harry.
2: All right.
3: Thank you, Jason. Thank you all for being here. The earliest songs from the radio that I can remember sticking to my brain were story songs. Songs with characters and at least a little bit of plot. Now, I'm not talking about musical theater songs, that all came later. I'm talking about songs I heard repeatedly on the radio while taking a station wagon ride, road trip from New Jersey to Florida when I was in fourth grade. Popular music, or at least my experience of popular music in the early 70s when my older brother had primary control of the radio, lodged in my brain songs like Billy Don't Be a Hero, and The Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia.
0: Solid songs. The Night Chicago Died.
3: Bad Bad Leroy Brown, and the Copacabana antics of Lola and Tony. Cher's Dark Lady, there were tons of them. A subset of these were the Tear Jerker songs. Songs like Cats in the Cradle, which led to an unfortunate Harry Chapin phase for me, and Seasons in the Sun. Do you remember Seasons in the Sun? That, I didn't learn until much later, was based on a song by Belgian singer-songwriter Jacques Brel. Brel's songs have such over-the-top, unapologetic passion in them that I'm alternately in love with them and embarrassed by them. Since then, elusive, painted-in-just-a-few-words characters have stuck with me, often with more clarity than those I read in novels. I'm talking about people like Bob Dylan's Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts, Bowie's Major Tom, John Prine's Sam Stone, the nameless Wichita lineman. There was Dolly's Jolene, Van Morrison's Madame George, Virgil Kane, the love struck Romeo from Dire Straits, Romeo and Juliet, and the hapless teens in Tim Grimm's perfect getaway. They seem so fully alive, and yet if you look at the printed lyrics, their bones are just a few words. Thinking about them got me thinking, how much do we need to know about someone to feel like we know them? I mean like real human beings, we judge from a soundbite sometimes we assess from a snippet of overheard conversation. I hear people all the time talking as if they know their close personal friends with celebrities when their primary source of information is a three paragraph story in People Magazine. We deal in a kind of personality shorthand. Now some of that I think is based on survival skills built into our DNA. Historically, we've had to assess pretty quickly if someone was a friend or a foe. And in, world, in a world where Me Too was a very real thing, often we still do. A Princeton University study showed that an initial impression of someone just based on their face is formed in a tenth of a second, and that longer exposures don't typically change those impressions. There's a downside to that, of course. It's just a short walk from quick assessment to ethnic and gender bias. But back to songs. The average number of words in a song by Bruce, on Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run album, 281. And that's pretty dense when you consider the average number of words on the Beatles' Abbey Road, 102. The average word count of top 10 songs in the 1960s was 176. The average in 2008, 436. Whoa. Yet the average length of a hit song has steadily declined from four minutes in 2000 to about three in the la- three and a half last year. I'm thinking the impact of rap has a lot to do with that. And for those who make blanket statements like, I don't like rap, then you also better say you don't like Trouble in River City from The Music Man or Bob Dylan's Subterranean Homesick Blues. Mm -hmm. To translate all that for you Broadway buffs out there, Hamilton has 20,520 words of lyrics. Oklahoma has about 4,300. Even when you consider that its cast size is double the length of Oklahoma's, that's still more than twice the density. A few more numbers, because I geek out on this stuff. A study was done of vocabulary size in music. It looked at music of 99 top selling musicians. The results, hip hop uses more different words than any other kind of music, followed by heavy metal and then folk. So folk is up there, um, more than rock. Uh, getting back to those characters for a second that I grew up with. Perhaps one of the reasons they resonate so much is because, because not in spite of, the limited information we're given. We hear the songs over and over, and we fill in the blanks with the people we know or encountered, especially before MTV. But even now, when MTV is no longer about videos, we wrote and still write the visuals in our own imagination, doing our own casting. And as such, we become part of the music, part of the story, one of the creators. I'm thrilled that we have a show filled with the primary creators of music and theater and comedy. We'll bring on Tim Grimm and Jen Lucas in just a bit, but first, I want you to meet my co-host in this episode. We change co-hosts every episode. It's kind of like the drummers in Spinal Tap, is what we do. Right. I'm not gonna make it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thrilled that Mr. Jason Adams is with us. Aw, um, thanks for having me. Now, Thank if you, you are, if you uh, experience theater in Indianapolis, you may know J- Jason uh, from his Fringe hit show, Jason Adams is a goddamn mind reader. Uh, he also created Deface Your Fears. Pro series of uh, programs here. Jason has uh, done a lot. Jason, what I'm curious. I talked a lot right. about where sort of some of my musical influence and tastes come from. What are yours? Okay,
0: uh, so it's important for the folks at home to know that I am the squarest looking <laughs> gentleman in this room. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, so there's, there, and you talked about you talked about like a lot of a lot of singer songwriter guys from the '70s mm-hmm. and. When I graduated from uh, high school, there's two stories that I really like a lot. Uh, the first one is I went, um, I was I was home, home for the summer, and I went to a record store and I started digging through, and I found a copy of Frank's Wild Years by mm-hmm. Tom Waits, right? And um, and it's just this amazing record. And me and my friend Ross were convinced that um, it it um, it's sung by a like a 400-pound voodoo <laughs> priest, and that's what we decided. <laughs> it, it, it absolutely is. Uh, then we saw a picture of him, and we were not. We we loved him more uh, because he is the opposite of what you think he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I really love Randy Newman. Uh, I love him so 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 much. And um, uh, I found a copy of this record called. Uh, uh, Nielsen sings Newman. Mm-hmm. Uh Terry Nielsen singing Randy Newman covers. And you talked about how Bruce Springsteen he uses a lot of words. And there's this one song on that record. It's called it's called just called Caroline. And the words of the song are Caroline, please be mine, you're my kind of girl. And that's it. And that's it. Those are the words of the song. And it's ragtimey and super sad and you know the person in the song
3: in what, less than 10 words, less than 10 words, it's just... um, The Newman stuff, the early stuff, like Good Old Boys album, and that stuff where there was, seemed to be no interest in, we're going to try to get radio airplay. No, no, short people. actively,
0: yeah, and and Short People is a really funny song about a really mean point of view, (laughs) and he has this whole, if you've ever heard Rednecks, I lived in North Carolina when I heard Rednecks, and uh, it's, it's
3: spot on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, we thought we would uh, also, those of you who have heard the podcast before or came out, we tend to, uh, we have a fascination with puns and with twisting things around. And we thought, given our guests, um, we would put out there that we would try to ruin a folk song with one word, whether replacing a word, adding a word or subtracting a word and I put this out uh, through social media and got some interesting responses uh, and you can feel free to yeah. chime in Jason as we go uh, we got things like we shall overdraft mm-hmm. oh. uh, there but for fortune 500 <laughs> hang down your head Tom Brokaw oh I that's like a good one that's a really good <laughs> one yeah, uh, what else do we have um, if I had a hammer toe nice looks uncomfortable uh, uh, I, <laughs> big crack rock candy mountain yeah that'll work that'll work <laughs> I can't help but wonder why I'm bound. Puff the a, horrible, a horrible, horrible puppies. dragon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, give, you know, for those kids who aren't really eating enough, give yeah. peas a chance. Ah! Yeah, that's a good thing. Uh, cranky Doodle, Janky Doodle, I got a lot yeah. of that. Actually, this is horrible. When I was working in Philadelphia, this reminded me, I, was, I had to research and verify that there was actually a porno film called Yank My Doodle, It's a Dandy. And, that's and, that's and gold. They, and they, and they, I'm, I want to tell you, I'm now a film
0: buff. I now want to find that movie. Now we're going to look for it. Uh,
3: Michael, tow the boat ashore. That becomes uh-huh. problematic. Uh, what else do we have here? Uh, Subterranean Homeschool Blues. That's the yeah. second oh. reference to that going on. Uh,
0: the wreck of the F. Scott Fitzgerald. <laughs>
3: <Nice>. <laughs> I ain't mariachiing anymore. We'll look for you. No? How about where have all the Flobies gone? We're, that. we're tanking you, Jason. Come on. Oh,
0: okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Alice Cooper's Restaurant. <laughs> yes, I would, <laughs> I would listen to
3: that. Uh, the, the, the Simon and Garfunkel hit Scarborough Mediocre.
2: Huh.
3: No? Where have all the Jennifer Flowers gone? Where's that? And the opposite of that, Hey, Mr. Tangerine Man right. and Shelter from the Stormy Daniels. That's on the flip side. <laughs> I like that. I like that.
0: Another movie I want to yeah. see really <laughs> bad.
3: <laughs> Friends reruns in low places. It's a little bit more country yeah. there. I've been twerking on the railroad. That'll, that'll get you thrown off. Nice. <laughs> and this changed two words, but I kind of liked it. So, lawn, it's been good to mow you.
2: <laughs>
3: yes. Yes. Can we end on that? No, let's try one more. Uh, okay. uh, the devil went down to your mom's house. Nah. <laughs> How about leaving on a jet ski? Oh, solid! <laughs> and we'll wrap that up with Pun Central.
4: Uh, now what what a some,
3: great game, Terry! Let's, let's get to some real music uh, with Tim and Jan. When you're, I have to tell a little story before we get into them. When you're a journalist, which I uh, am, and a CD arrives at your desk from someone you've met, in this case a local actor, there's a moment of concern especially when it's in a genre that you really like. And when it's in a cardboard case, well, so I'll admit I hesitated a moment before sliding Tim Grimm's first CD into my car stereo. But damn, from the opening track, Better Days, I was hooked. And when Jan Lucas came in on harmonies for A.P. Carter's, Carter's Blues, I knew the disc would be on frequent rotation, and it has been. It wasn't just the outstanding songwriting and the strong, honest, open vocals, but also the musical choices. Just listen to She Remembers from that disc. It is a world-class debut. Since then, I've had the pleasure of hearing Tim and Jan numerous times in concert and seeing both of them on stage, musically and not together and separate. They were both in the Indiana Repertory Theater's To Kill a Mockingbird and the outstanding Phoenix show Prime Prime one of my favorites from nearly 25 years of theater in Indianapolis. Jan was recently in the world premiere of The Pill at the Phoenix Theater. Uh, The rest of the world caught on. Uh, Tim's song, Woody's Landlord, which was the number one song on folk radio in 2016. Uh, And King of the Folk Siggers was the same in 2014. Meanwhile, Jan penned and illustrated a book by Beautiful Leukemia. Uh, The book, she said, she wished she found when she was diagnosed and going through treatment. Tim's most recent recording, A Stranger in This Time, is a collaboration with Jan and their sons, Connor and Jackson. Uh, half the time, it seems like Tim is off playing in Scotland or the Netherlands, and Jan is rehearsing or performing in something. So it's, it's such a pleasure to fit into the schedules of Tim and Jan. Please welcome them and let's hear a song. All
2: right.
5: You know, Lou, we, we date ourselves a little bit when we mention Heartland, that first album. That was 20 years ago next year. That's right.
2: Wow.
3: And still great.
5: 66, Will Rogers Highway Down 66, the people go From the back roads, out of the dust bowl. We're all rolling
1: in search of home Some people walk, some people stumble Some people
2: drive
1: their fancy car Some people ride Westbound freight train, folks are coming from near and far. We don't want your handouts, Mister. We don't want no, no. charity. We're
5: In Oklahoma, to California, I will go. They tractored out 10,000 families from the homes. They'd always known. And they filled
1: in wells. They knocked down buildings. They said, be gone. We're through with you. And our people were this land from nothing. Back to nothing, it's going to. We don't want your handouts, mister. We don't want no charity. We want to work and stay together.
5: We got children, we got
1: lovers hand in hand. We're all
5: traveling this crowded highway in search of justice in a promised land. We don't want your handouts, mister. We don't
1: want no charity. We want to work and stay together.
3: exclusively for a half hour about the harmonica playing. Oh, Excellent. yeah. That's, that's yeah. It. I would really like that. Yeah.
4: Tell is me there like, one for every key? I do. You do. I do. I have that little suitcase over there, which is my favorite thing. So, you know, I'm in a family of musicians and they have their big guitar cases and their banjo cases and their mandolin cases and I'm like, okay. So then Tim got me this suitcase that carries all my Honer harmonicas and I feel like a, a badass. I noticed you had, you mentioned
0: the brand name. I that, did. The Hohner
4: harmonica. Is that? Okay. Okay. that yeah, no, they're great. Yeah, they're the You had to yeah. deal with them. No, no. We're working Maybe up. I should. <laughs> I should have a deal with them.
3: Yeah. When did you take up the instrument? Uh,
4: a couple of years ago. I uh, started with the C-harp. All of you wanna be mm-hmm. harmonica players, start with your C-harp. And then I just, you know, kind of self-taught, mm-hmm. went from there.
3: Yeah. One of the things I'm curious about when... I mean, Jan sings harmonies on a number of your recordings. You also Mm -hmm. tap into a lot of other musicians. How do you decide what you're going to sing on and what you're not?
5: It's been an evolution, uh, you know, from that very first album. I think you sang, Jan sang less on that first album than she sings sings now. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Then we moved into something like uh, Coyote's Dream was the second or third album. And uh, I thought... I was beginning to hear things. I wanted to cover a a Woody Guthrie song. And uh, I'd remember back to the days of Ramblin' Jack, Elliot, who's a friend of mine, singing Buffalo Skinners. And I thought, wait a minute. Next month, Jack is going to be in town here. Let's get Jack to do the song with me. So that's how that evolved. Uh, Stacy Earle, Steve's little sister, became a friend, and I thought when we when, when I wrote Browning Mountain, that sort of, uh, that lonesome kind of southern mm-hmm. uh, thing fit really so nicely with that. So it's really kind of just finding the parts, like finding a musician, finding the vocalist to do a track.
3: Jen, do you ever say, well, that song I want to be a part of? <laughs> I <laughs> do. Yeah.
4: I do. I don't always get my way, but, you know, <laughs> sometimes, yeah. Let's
3: backtrack a little bit now part of obviously your your family history is you were you took the trek out to Hollywood yeah, did the dead. Hollywood thing and came back tell me about the decision moment to head west
4: I'll speak just to the the little bit of it when we were living there we had um, I have a son older son from my first marriage and then we had our two little little guys out there are no longer little mm-hmm. but anyway we would come back to Indiana every summer and spend time near his parents or at his parents' house. And so it was becoming painful to go back to mm-hmm. L.A. We would just kind of dread it, and oh, really, we gotta go back? Mm-hmm. So we thought, why don't we just flip that equation and live where we love and then travel out there, you know? The traveling out there didn't quite materialize because it's <laughs> a big, it's hard to do, and our kids were little, you know, mm-hmm. so um, so we stayed.
5: Going the other way, though, going, uh-huh. yeah, going west, um, We both literally about at the same time booked a a network television show in L.A. from Chicago. (laughs) And um, I booked a show called Reasonable Doubts, which was on NBC for two years with Mark Harmon and Marley Matlin. Nice. And about the same time, Jan booked a show called The Human Factor and she played uh, John Mahoney's much younger wife. You may um, remember John Mahoney
4: was uh-huh. fresh Oh yeah, we father. all, we yes. all know John Mahoney. Yeah. So, yeah. so
5: we, yeah. we, we, we went, um, I never forget a, a statement when I left graduate school at University of Michigan in, with a degree in theater, and one of our acting teachers told us, when if you're gonna to go to Hollywood, uh, you're gonna to go to New York or Hollywood, but if you're gonna to go to New York uh, or, or LA, go when you're invited. Mm. You know, go where you're invited and when you're invited. So we were invited, and uh, off we went.
3: A little bit about those. There was experience with the TV shows and a couple of movies. I have to ask one movie question. Who's more fun to work with, Isaac Hayes or Harrison Ford?
5: (laughs) Jan says Harrison Ford. He
0: was (laughs) awesome. Jan, I feel like you have a story.
4: He was uh, a little story. (laughs) So uh, Tim was shooting the movie Clear and Present Danger in uh, Mexico, and... I was very pregnant with our youngest son. And, um, you know, you don't feel so super attractive when you're really pregnant. And he was awesome. He said, God, you're beautiful, and that's awesome. I'm like, oh, Harrison Ford thinks I'm beautiful, and I weigh 300 pounds, you know, so it's great. It was lovely. He's a very beautiful
3: human being. So Jan votes for Harrison
5: Ford. I feel
3: like there's a...
0: The, the opinion Would you here also. No, no, you I, no, I don't dissent. No. <laughs> I, I, got,
5: I got to spend a lot more time with Harrison than I did yeah. with Isaac Hayes. Isaac Hayes I worked with on a low-budget uh, B <laughs> horror film, um, cool. which is delightful, called Uncle Sam. Yeah. Give uh, us the I plot just,
3: of Uncle Sam, please.
5: <laughs> Do you know the plot of Uncle Sam? Give us the no. plot of <laughs> Uncle Sam, please. No, what,
3: whatever you say
0: is going to be right. Do you We're remember
4: gonna love the it. plot <laughs> of Uncle Sam? <laughs> You wore
5: the costume. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I <laughs> Were you work. Uncle Sam? No, I was not <laughs> Uncle Sam. Uncle Sam was a um, uh, a um, uh, military veteran who died overseas, and uh, comes back from the grave, um, and he becomes a hyper patriot in his uh, dead state. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, yes. And um, I am playing uh, a very sort of slimy sleazy uh, insurance salesman believe it or not um who uh decides on the fourth of july parade i will be abraham lincoln so the the scene that i have with isaac hayes is i am in full lincoln beard and top hat that's right and isaac hayes is playing a, a wounded warrior uh with a peg leg and we have a delightful scene watching the parade go by
3: so, for your consideration, Oscar screeners right. yeah, probably yeah. Yeah, exactly. not distributed yeah. for that one. Yeah. let a little bit about let's talk a little bit about the sort of Hollywood. Like both of you doing TV series, how much when you're in the middle of a series are you still auditioning for other things, or Are you keeping an eye out for what's next?
5: Well, not when you, if you if you know you've got a season of a show, you're not looking at all early early on. As that season's kind of kind of winds down, and it's you know typically an eight month or so shoot. Mm-hmm. You'll start to you'll start to look, um, or you'll start to think about your vacation. You know.
3: (laughs) Were you writing music at the time? No. Was music even on your radar? No music uh, at all.
5: Well, then that makes
0: me want to know the origin story of that.
5: Well, I had done music back in Chicago, Mm -hmm. right before Jan and I met. Um, and I'd begun taking lessons at the Old Town School of Folk mm-hmm. Music, which is a, an institution, a, a beautiful place. Steve Goodman, John um, Prine. Yeah. They all yeah. went through. The legacy. Michael Smith. <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. Michael Smith has become a friend of ours. Yeah. Um, but in any case, I began to write music there, and I, and I wrote my very early songs, uh, maybe two of which... I, I still perform
4: Many love Gone wrong songs yeah. Oh nice and, and the picture of him On the cover of the album I just say sad. The song gone wrong song song gone wrong song I wouldn't say that But oh, uh, So
5: I just kind of Got going with that And we got to L.A. You know We were invited to L.A. And the guitar went Into the closet And there it sat Until we moved back To Indiana
3: Let's talk about that move So the kids were How old When you decided To move back?
4: We always lose track of this yeah. because we came back so many summers. Okay. They were um, maybe two and four, and then my oldest was 13, okay. or no, he was actually 15, which was really hard for him. That was the hardest yeah. move. From LA, yeah. Um, yeah, because you know he had been in uh, school in Chicago, and you know was in a very diverse classroom. Mm-hmm. In a very diverse classroom in LA, and then he came to Indiana at that time in Columbus, where we live. Um, it was a very white room, you know, classroom for him to be in, which was unusual. It's not that way now, mm-hmm. I'm proud to say. Our town has come a long way. But um, yeah, the move was, was very tricky for them. Um, but we had been coming in the summers to spend time, and so we actually had Tim's dad on the lookout for land for us. And I came out in the month of February to look at this 80-acre plot of land, and it looked spectacular. And I thought, if this looks good in February, <laughs> it's gonna look really good at yeah. other times of the year. We we ended up getting that piece of ground.
3: Now, how obviously our, our image of such things moving from this is sort of green acres, right? We're expecting that kind of uh, – how much of sort of farm living did you know going in? Well, I, had, what were the surprises? I
5: had spent many of my summers up uh, in northern Indiana outside of Auburn, which is just north of Fort Wayne at my grandfather's farm. So I spent... Did you detassel corn? No, but I baled hay.
3: <laughs> How many people here detasseled corn? Were there some? Yay. Yeah. It's How many people, yeah. people baled hay? Who baled hay? hay? Oh, hay I baled hay. hay. Yay. Yeah, there we go. Yep. I sold fake dog poop and exploding lighters on the Wildwood, New Jersey. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, right. oh. It kind of indifferent. You were living on the thing. edge. Yeah. I'm sorry.
5: No, no. So, so uh, I, I had this... Uh, romantic vision. I'd been f- uh, n- far enough away from it in terms of time that 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 I actually got the the notion that, gosh, we we could and should have a little hay farm operation here. And that's what we began when we moved back.
3: and chose hay just because it was what you knew. It was what we knew, and, and it's everywhere. it's a
5: simple, it's mm-hmm. a simple crop mm-hmm. in terms of it's it's a one season crop. Mm-hmm. and you know it grows on its own, you cut it down. And you get the teenagers from the neighborhood to come in and do the Or work. our
4: sons, yeah. who son. eventually, yeah. So,
0: so. is still going? No. No. No.
4: <laughs> <laughs> no. Sorry, Life no. intervened. Well, I stayed home a lot because my kids were little, so I wasn't going on the road with Tim. And then when they, they became, you know, adults, now I've been able to, to change my approach. But So we travel a lot. You know, okay. so we're we're gone. You you can't yeah. be away from. We had goats and we had animals and you know big giant garden. We don't have any. That of just that.
3: ended with some really good meals. It, and
4: then. <laughs> <laughs> no, it kind of it kind of you know just a slow decline. Right. Out the the goats went back to the neighbors. The horses went down the road. Mm-hmm. You know.
3: Did, I'm curious. You're playing music with your kids. I've heard them in various permutations right. joining in on your music. Mm-hmm. Was there a period where they totally rejected the kind of music you were creating, oh, or right. did they buy in
4: the whole thing? Our life? youngest kind of did.
5: Yeah, I don't I don't know if he, f- he totally rejected it, but he showed absolutely <laughs> he no not interest. No. He was interested None in whatsoever. soccer. None yeah. whatsoever.
0: What was he interested
4: in? Soccer. Oh, soccer. Okay. Yeah. Soccer mm-hmm. and sort of the outdoors, and he went off to college, Warren Wilson College in Asheville, North Carolina. I know it. Where he was going to be <sharp inhale> outdoor leadership, and he did, he graduated in that, but that's a music town, you know, so he uh, came home at one of our vacations and said to, can I get one of dad's guitars? And we were like, yes. (laughs) So he's, he's probably the best player in the band.
5: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he started, he started most recently
4: and Connor started very young. Connor's an amazing bass player and he started, he played all kinds of stuff from young. He was always interested in music.
3: So. Well, before the music came to my attention, I was seeing you both on stages locally. Was that part of the, was that the path you expected to take coming back here? Did you already uh, Yeah, uh, yeah, roads th- I think that? so.
5: I think that uh, when we moved back, in the back of my mind, I thought, well, uh, I still have my agents in Chicago. I'll just go, I'll just make a habit of going up to Chicago, doing some work here and there, film and television, and and finding inroads into the theater scene at the Indiana Repertory Theater, Actors Theater of Louisville, Mm -hmm. um, you know, places within an hour or two. I thought that's maybe what the path would be.
3: Now, I'm not asking for specific numbers, but give us an idea of the difference between what you might get paid for a (laughs) two-day shoot on Chicago Fire or something and four weeks of playing in a play and four weeks of rehearsal.
0: Dead silence.
3: Huge difference. So
2: theater makes that
0: much more than television.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Jason, you (laughs) are so astute.
4: So
3: significant difference. Yeah, Yeah. it's a big
4: difference. Ask us about the creative satisfaction, though. Oh, but seriously, the 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 creative satisfaction (laughs) of doing theater. Well, it's it's infinitely more Mm. satisfying. You know, there's a lot of waiting around. At least the stuff that I did, I also did a ton of commercials. When I was in L.A. and Chicago. For what?
3: Don't be specific? Mm-hmm. Oh,
4: Lord. Um, hard to even remember. I, I had a big one that was on during the Super Bowl mm. for Tylenol PM. Ooh. And here's the kicker with that one. So I shot it, you know, good day rate. Uh-huh. No, I'm going to get a good um, contract from it. But then I get a call about a week after from my agent saying, so they want to do a buyout. So you can't do any other painkillers, lg all these a whole list, and they have to pay me for each one. For each oh, thing second? that I, yes, there's a thing in our union that for each item that I cannot shoot a commercial for, there's a fee attached to it. So it was like, brrrt, a list as long <laughs> as Kids my arm. And, and I'm great. like, boom, oh, we got this, we got this. So, you know, we moved to, um, to, the, to the heartland thinking, yeah, we're good, okay. we're good, yeah. we got this. A few years later, we're like, hmm, Hmm. The phone is not ringing. we gotta, we got to figure out a plan. It's should to work.
3: Okay, so you're, you start to write some songs. Was the intent... Uh, when did it become, I'm going to put together a disc, I'm going to go live with folks? That
5: first batch of songs came out, it seems rather quickly at this point. Mm-hmm. And um, as, as we got to this, it was an old 80-acre farm, and we, we initially thought we would... Uh, rehab the old farmhouse and we discovered rather quickly through some expert friends and family that it was not worth rehabbing it was a lot more you know it was further gone than we thought so we ended up building a new house so that became a project on that piece of property we really got to know that property got to love that property and we began to become friends with all the old neighboring farm couples Whose families had gone away, but they were still there on the farm, and they reminded me of people like my grandparents, who I'd spent time with when I was a kid, and uh, we enlisted their help when we started the hay operation. You know, and one of the guys had come over and drive the Better Get Better Days guys. You yeah. know, yeah. Farmer Jim and Amos Chestnut.
4: That was the and, first and, song that you wrote, right? That, yeah. um, in this new chapter of our lives, and I think I've sung that song. I don't know, 500 times. I so would say. I think I've listened to it 500 times. Maybe so. I've sung it more than I don't know, but I uh, I'd say yeah. it's still my favorite song. It's, it's, it's kind of like our anthem. When you, I said,
0: this is something I've always imagined about making records. When you listen to that that first record you built mm-hmm. on, on the uh, farm, uh, is it is it sort of a time machine? Like, does it bring you back to there, or is it? Do they become their own pieces eventually?
5: Both, literally both. Yep, and uh, um, I'm. I'm remarkably pleased that t- to my own ears, which I think are as critical as anybody else's, mm-hmm. um, that, that a lot of, most of those songs hold up for me. And and I would say three quarters of those songs that, that, that will be 20 years old next year, uh, we still perform mm-hmm. in concert. Um, so t- tell them our little, big plan. Yeah, the little side note is, is next year that will be 20 years old. So we are going to go back in the studio with our sons who were about this big when and it had no dream of making music when we yeah. recorded that, and they've been growing up with these songs, and can play them inside out, the four of us are going to re-record uh, um, Heartland, yeah. all, the whole album. And tell us you're going
3: to do a live concert of the entire album? <laughs> we'll, we'll, yes. do, we'll do a couple live we concerts. Will for sure. yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, I've, I'm sort of fascinated by in the 60s, the sort of debate between Phil Oaks and Bob Dylan mm-hmm. about how political and how overt your messaging yeah. should be in music. Yeah. Obviously mm-hmm. Dylan at a point went one way, Phil Oaks went another. Um, mm-hmm. do you wrestle with that? And how how blatant to be about the you know agenda of some songs? Do you
5: Yes and no. Okay. Yes and no. The, the, it, it, the core of me doesn't wrestle with it. Mm-hmm. The core of me knows my own sense of truth, own sense of honesty. And, uh, and that, that side of me will drive me to write what, what, what I'm emotionally feeling, mm-hmm. uh, my emotional truth uh, given, given a topic. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an ongoing debate. I was just at uh, the, um, the Midwest Region Folk Alliance Conference, which is about 300 people from about a dozen states. Uh, in Grand Rapids two weeks ago, and I actually led a led a workshop on this very oh, topic okay. about. I did not um, know that when I asked the question. Yeah, right. no. My about, research did not go that deep. About about the notion of um, uh, of political songwriting, mm-hmm. and and I sort of preface that whole workshop with the, with my belief that all good songs are political songs. Go further with that. All good songs are political songs. If, if you are writing passionately about something other than, you know, a love between two people, right. it's a political song. Um, you know, it, it. just think about that for a minute. We'll circle back around to that okay. idea. I don't want to espouse on it too much, but no, but, but all good songs to me are political. Um, to go further, though, the idea of how far do you go with a political song, we wrote two political songs. Um, you mentioned one recently yeah yeah recently. in the last in we, the last we've written two others, years but yeah, yeah recently yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean I think the first song we did the people's highway which mm-hmm. I wrote for the grapes mm-hmm. of wrath is a political song
2: mm-hmm.
5: um, now you you might say really but it is a political song <laughs> Absolutely. if you think about what's going on in today's climate and about a group of people who are trying to get from one place to another mm-hmm. uh, where the grass is greener and the land is free it's a political song um, But, you know, we we wrote a song previous to, prior to the last uh, national election and we wrote a song right after the last national election. And they're very different styles of songs, but they're both very political in their own way. Um, And I think you've got to be careful about not hammering people over the head with with ideology, Mm -hmm. but you've got to speak your truth. That's the fine balance.
4: Well, the uh, other thing to know is that Tim grew up he, his uh, musical DNA is quite amazing because his parents um, listen to awesome music, old traditional music, a lot of Pete Seeger, a lot of Bob Dylan, a lot of Woody Guthrie. And it, it's like, it's, I, I say it's in his bones, you know? And um, the musical library that he grew up with that he knows. He knows these songs so intimately. Yeah. So I think he comes to it, you know, very honestly. Where did the connection I mean?
3: to Ramblin' Jack happen?
5: I'd grown up listening to Ramblin' Jack, and um, I met him finally when I was in grad school in Ann Arbor, and um, we struck up an immediate friendship, and that was well over 30 years ago, and we've connected every year, every two years. We've traveled around the Midwest. Some of you have maybe seen Ramblin' Jack. Uh, as we've been traveling through this neck of the woods in the Midwest, he
4: sometimes needs a handler. He needs yeah. someone to drive him. And one time, oh. Tim couldn't do it, so we put our son Connor on that job. <laughs> yeah. And we—I t- took pictures of him beforehand because Connor was like, looked like deer in the headlights, you know. But I think it was the trip of a lifetime, something he will never forget. He's—he's uh, he's a character.
3: I've really enjoyed the—I don't know how many of you have seen the video for Woody's Landlord for your song yeah. with its sort of homages to. Subterranean Homesick Blues, Absolutely. and a reluctant appearance by your cat. I assume that was your cat. Um, how I'm curious. I mean, we sort of know about sort of the marketing and how you get word out. We hear all the time with pop music and things like in rock. Yeah. How does folk music? Work? How do you get yourself known in the
5: folk music? World? Inch by inch and row by row, <laughs> we're going to make the garden grow. Uh, no, yeah. it's 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 uh yeah. Yeah, I mean, it may be something as I get a little older, I'll start to learn about you know, <laughs> about that that yeah. idea of of, um, of marketing, yeah. um, but uh, no, it's 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 word of mouth. It's yeah. it's people sharing with other people.
3: Is there a big difference playing you know a large folk festival and playing you know a folk series that's in the basement of a Unitarian church? Mm-hmm. I mean, how, sure. How, how what's your thinking going into it? Those shows, how does that differ?
5: Some of the best shows are in the smallest rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, without question, uh, you know, you inevitably, when you're playing the larger outdoor festivals, it's noisy, it's hot, it's sweaty. People are talking, people are Sound walking is by. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
4: But the one thing that can happen in both of those venues is someone can come up to you afterwards and go, "That song meant so much to me," mm. or "You sang my father's song," or "That's my history. Mm. That that meant so much to me." And that's, to me, the most moving and meaningful thing, and it can happen in a basement or in a festival. Yeah. Do, you you perform,
3: do you feel like you perform differently?
4: Yeah, mm-hmm.
5: yeah. I can, certainly in a, in a smaller setting, you, you, can, you can literally, if you have the time in the in your right place, you can make a connection with everybody in the room mm-hmm. in a way that you can't begin to do it with a festival. You have to be more of an actor at a festival.
3: Speaking of acting, <laughs> What I've seen both of you in, in many plays uh, here in Indianapolis. What what plays are you hungry to do? If you could, uh, if you were the artistic director of a theater company, what shows would you like to do eventually? Ooh,
4: wow. Good question. Well, there is a show called Wit, mm. and it's a beautiful play about a woman dying, and um, <clears throat> I'd love to do that part. I would love to do it. I. Had you know leukemia, and I came close to that edge. But um, I think, as an artist, it would be fabulous to do. Now, yeah. I mean,
3: you feel like now versus yes, 10 years I ago. would yes.
4: I I have enough distance from it, and yeah. I think it would be um, just so creatively challenging. I just finished a play at the Jewish Theater of Bloomington uh, called Leipzig, which is a play about I played a woman who has Alzheimer's. And so you kind of watch her descent during the course of the play, and many secrets are revealed about her. Her childhood; she was sent away from Germany, uh, Nazi Germany, as a child. M- very complicated story, but it was such an honor to play mm-hmm. that woman, not only because of what she had been through as a Jewish person and being sent out of out of Germany, but also to inhabit the the character of a person who was in such turmoil. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think I could have done that even 15, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I, I would have had a hard time with it. But as an artist, you know, we we want to do that. We want to dig deep, and it was just so rewarding. Um, so I'm curious I
3: can't. If you were approached by people in the audience who. Oh yeah, have, yeah. 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 yeah.
4: About uh, I would say a little over half of the audience was Jewish almost every night, and um, there we had two Holocaust survivors come to the play. And one of them spoke at a talk back, which was profound. And, um, you know, it's just, uh, unfortunately, the bombing of the synagogue in Pittsburgh happened on the night of our, the day of the night of our second performance. And that was intense to recognize that this is still going on again. I mean, we were all horrified, but also gratified in a way that we would be telling this story. You know, the thing I struggle with as a theater artist is I often feel we're, preaching to the converted, and I, I would just wish there were more ways we could get our our pieces, our performances out into the into the street, you know, um, it's tricky. Would you yeah.
3: folks be interested in us doing play readings here at some point?
4: Ooh. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that'd be great, I like that. And that
3: gave you some time to think about yeah. your answer. <laughs> yeah, it didn't help me at all. <laughs> 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 I've been
5: asked that question before. Um, by people uh, who have a reason to ask me, <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, maybe part of it is—is is I, I, I don't want to say oh, I'd love to do this mm-hmm. specific project. You know, it's—it's—it's—it's mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to get anything, you know, mm-hmm. up and going. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get a particular role if you love it so much and then you can't mm-hmm. get it.
0: May I, I there, adjust the question?
5: You may to make it <laughs> a little
0: easier. Yeah, sure. Uh, if you so, as an as an artist at all, is there a story? that you're super hungry to tell?
5: Well, there are a lot of stories, but there's not one that I'm super no, hungry, hungry to again. tell. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to tell them all the time, you know, one way or another. Um, but there are things, you know, like maybe who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? I might oh. like to do that.
2: Mm-hmm. It's a uh, You
5: know, there, there's some old Sam Shepard stuff I'd like to dig into. There's, yeah. You know, there there are a number of things that I, I would, I would love, love to do, but I've not really set about it in a focused way.
3: I mentioned uh, in the introduction the John Prime show that was done here in yeah. Indianapolis with the Phoenix. Mm-hmm. I understand there were some rights issues so it couldn't be done yep. that way in Chicago. To me, that right. was a show that if it could have been done in Chicago, it would still be running mm-hmm. ten years later and elsewhere because that was a, a well, wonderful piece yeah. of theater. Yeah.
5: I don't know how many people here saw that piece of theater. Mm-hmm. Um, ah, that's great. That was, you
4: know, that was the genius. Can, of yeah,
5: it, the the, the the big there are many geniuses involved there but mm-hmm. the genius was the concept to begin with you have a genius songwriter uh, john prine and then you get this concept let's construct an evening in the theater with only songs
4: no words no words yeah. no song spoken song words to song. song
5: to song each uh, uh, actor will be a singer or musician mm-hmm. and the whole thing will flow from with the beginning to the end.
4: Right. Well, and not a
3: concert. It was a right. no, it, it was, was a, a play. play. Yeah,
5: yeah. And, and we
4: had to be somewhat delicate uh, uh, because of the rights issues in the way that we described it. But right. it functioned like a concert because we only sang songs. Right. But it was the genius, I have to say, of Brian Fonseca of the of the Phoenix Theater who is a huge John Prine oh, fan. Yeah. And he had this idea yes. and it, it came to life, which was quite
5: something. It has made me think more and more about that concept though Mm -hmm. because I'm thinking there are a lot of other songwriters that you could take that notion Mm -hmm. and follow it through. Mm -hmm. I've seen it
3: done badly and that time was done beautifully. Yeah. And I wish that, that was one where I just was hungry that that show would have an afterlife. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about that a little bit. What's it like when you're that involved in a show and suddenly the last performance happens? How do you, how do you recover Yes, you
4: just
5: did
3: it, Jen. I did. So, I, I had a, a week definitely
4: some letdown. That was hard to let that go and that cast go. We, we became very tight. I'm so lucky and so happy to have projects on the horizon. So I'm already mm. thinking ahead. So that that certainly eases the eases the pain.
3: Do um, you want to hear some more music? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And while they're going to the. Uh, We're gonna talk a little bit more in the second half. Please write down questions you may have for anyone uh, on the show this evening and we'll field many of them uh, in the second half. So please do.
5: Lightning strike back in 47 hit a walnut tree in Indiana. In the middle of the field, the old home farm 13 years before I was born but my dad was there he was just a boy felt the thunder roll, then the hell of a noise first the crack then the creaking groan. there's different ways for seeds to be sown 13 years before I was born he was in the barn all of 11 in the year 47. It was five more years till he'd get that car, that old Model T that never went far. Well, the tree went down by the near sheep pen. It tore the fence that the ewes were in. Dad walked out with a saw and a wire and the mud and the rain and his pocket plier. His pa said, boy, what you do today? And my dad said, Paul, got caught in the rain, but the cows are fed. Got the eggs together, and the big tree fell, and there's wood together. It took him days to clear the limbs. He knew that job was all up to him. It was after school he'd split and stack. He didn't know then he'd get something back. Got her down to one mighty log. At that point he had to make a call. He dialed Bill Scarlet at the Auburn Mill said, Got a log, can you help me, Bill? And they cut that log into many board feet, and Dad shoveled sawdust for about a week to pay the bill. And the job was done thirteen years before I was born. And those boards were stacked and stored in the barn until the year they sold. The family farm and dad counted the rings,
2: 124.
5: And when it comes to me, I can just remember an old stack of boards, all dark and weathered, how they lay behind an old park car, that old Model T that never went far. We pumped the tires and they held air. We pulled the tea out and the boards were there. And we washed the car. We brushed the boards. Cut 13 years before I was born. Dad said, "Let's move these boards one more time." They're staying here in this new shed of mine. I said, "Dad, can you spare me too? I did not tell him what I was gonna do. Yeah, the other big tree fell on my grandpa's farm, and Dad saved the boards. So what? Seemed so long thirteen years before I was born. Well I drove those boards to a man named Bear near the Ohio River, south of here, and I told him the story about thirteen years. He shook my hand and said, I'll give you my best, I'll build a guitar not like the rest, just look at that green, you can hear the tone, from these walnut boards so dark and long, we'll make a way to sing your dad this song, 13 years is really not so long. Did you ever stop and wonder at the sound of distant rolling?
3: Take a brief intermission. Jot those questions down. Hey! <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back to Act Two of this episode of Lou Harry Gets Real. First of all, I want to thank our sponsor, the Aristocrat, and its lovely Oxford Room, uh, named after the birthplace of its owner, the Oxford Room. Uh, formerly were three studio apartments up here that were renovated in 2014 and now feature rich wood paneling, leaded and stained glass windows and fixtures as well as artwork and collectibles curated by Mr. Rick Rising Moore, owner and publican since 1969 It seats up to 60 people equipped with audiovisual equipment, a full bar, private bathroom, separate entrance, perhaps perfect for your upcoming event, and an elevator with access from the parking lot. The Oxford Room at The Aristocrat, we're thrilled that it has hosted us uh, for the series, and we welcome you to take advantage of all it has to offer here at The Aristocrat. Um, Jason Adams is our uh, co-host for this evening. Now, traditionally, in other episodes of the show, if you've been listening, um, we've had a musical guest and an interview guest, this time since our... Um, our musical guests were also our prime interview guests. We thought we would uh, turn the mic over to Jason, (laughs) who has hosted many an unusual event. I have no idea what Jason's going to be up to, but please welcome Jason Adams.
1: All right. (laughs) Fantastic.
3: Give me a moment. For those of you listening at home, Jason is taking a moment and bringing a box of some sort. (laughs) To his chair, and it looks like there are oh lots of, okay, um, and an accordion.
4: Oh, oh. I, I think most of
3: us did not expect an accordion to come out this evening.
1: Ask me if I know how to play it.
3: Uh, Jason, do you know how to play an accordion? I no idea. Okay, very good.
0: And a... Did it, did it be cool about
3: this one? Okay, I'll be cool it's about that surprise. One. Okay, we won't mention that.
0: Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the song I'm going to sing right, um, for you right now is a sing-along song. <laughs> so there's there's very the words are very easy. Uh, as soon as you know them, sing along with me. Are you ready?
1: All right. Eskimo, Eskimo.
4: Sing it with me.
1: Eskimo 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 No, they were not afraid.
0: Yan took a awoke. His grandfather's face inches from his. He knew that the right would be a surprise. He knew it was coming. But he didn't know when. Today was the day. Grandfather said to him, "Yentuk, gather your things and meet me outside. And so Yentuk did. He gathered his, his bedroll and his provisions and his spear, and he crawled through the ice walls of the igloo, which was their temporary uh, shelter. He stood up, and his eyes adjusted to the darkness he could see that every member of the tribe had gathered around the entrance to their igloo Every member and every man had gathered his own bedroll and his own spear. He saw that the dogs were hitched. He knew that in a moment he would set off across the ice and snow headed towards the sea where he would become an... Really,
1: Eskimooriar! Eskimo! Eskimooriar! No, they were not afraid!
0: Mush! he yelled, and snapped the dogs across the snow! They hustled and hustled, and as they raced across the snow, him and the whole tribe of men at his back, the sun began to rise. At first it was red, then pale, then white, and blinding. Off towards the sea, him and every member of his tribe went. He knew that when he reached the sea, he would have to fight the bear. And he was excited, and he was nervous. His hands gripped his knuckles white. In the distance, he saw a dark cloud. The wind began to pick up and he knew that they would have to wait. They would not reach the sea today. It would be tomorrow. They huddled the dogs together. They gathered their supplies. They they dug into the snow and they waited for the storm and it began to howl. And in their temporary shelter, he touched shoulders with the man next to him and they told stories. They told stories of
1: Eskimo -er. Eskimo Eskimo No, they were not afraid.
0: The next morning Yantuck awoke. He saw that the dogs had eaten the food. He gathered what he could find, and again, they headed off across the ice and snow. By noon, he could hear seabirds. And a few hours later, if he listened very closely, he could hear the barking of seals. And towards the end of the day they reached the sea. The men tied up their dogs. And they all craw- crawled up and peered to over the edge of the sand dune, or snow dune. <laughs> they saw hundreds and hundreds of seals barking and playing. And Yantuk, he went off to take a seal, which he normally would do, but his grandfather grabbed him and held him back and said, No, Yantuk, we must wait for the bear. It is the way of the...
1: Eskimoorias! Eskimo Eskimo
2: Eskimoorias!
1: No, they were not afraid! The men
3: gathered in ritual and each of them
0: held their spears.
3: (laughs) Jason is passing out straws to members of the audience.
0: (laughs) They held their spirits and were tempted to unwrap them but they didn't do it yet. They wanted to, it was very tempting, but they didn't unwrap them yet because there's a purpose for these spirits. The men, they started to chant and huddle. Yeah, yeah, pass them back, it's easier that way. And I'll pass these to you, and you pass them back that way. But you may want to get closer The men gathered in ritual Here I'll give these to you guys And you'll each have a spear They gathered in ritual Oh I need one And they held their spears aloft And tore the end off the spear Just the end off the spear And had them Like just like this Ready To go They put their heads together And very softly, they began to sing.
1: Eskimo warriors, Eskimo warriors, Eskimo warriors. And no, we are not afraid. The song built, Eskimo warriors. Eskimo- warriors. Eskimo! warriors. No, they were not afraid! The men of the tribe gathered at the end of the
0: edge of the snow dune! They put their spears to their lips but didn't blow yet. (laughs) They waited and waited and waited and the night grew cold but soon in the distance they saw the lumbering of a giant beast. looked at the bear (laughs) said nothing he turned and walked away towards the sea and looked out eventually his grandfather found him and said Yantuk come back we have to do what we need to do and Yantuk said, I don't, I don't know what happened. I've, I don't know what to do now. He was distraught. And grandfather saw that right away. Grandfather looked at him and said, That's the way of it, Yantuk. When you take the bear, a little piece of you goes with it. And that's what it means to be in.
1: Ask him warrior. Ask him warrior. Ask him No, they were not
0: afraid. Thanks for doing that with me guys. <laughs>
3: Jason Adams. Jason Adams, ladies and gentlemen. You weren't expecting that tonight, were you? We had some questions brought in during intermission from members of the audience that we'd like to ask things they wanted to know from our panel today. Jason, you'll be cleaning all that up after the show. <laughs> You've got to have a mess after performance. There you go. Right? That's the policy. Thank you, Gallagher. First question. Is it too late for a 60-year-old to pick up that acoustic guitar that's been in the basement idle for too many years and finally learn to play it and play it well? I think that's a question for you, Jason. No, no. it's
5: not. <laughs> <laughs> you talk
2: about piano. Uh,
4: what do you think? I already did. I don't think it's ever too late. My, uh, I, Did I say this already, that I took p- up piano a year ago? No. I started no. playing. Okay. I started playing piano. Uh, I took piano lessons for the first time ever in my life a year ago. It's about a year exactly. And um, the, you know, the linchpin of the whole thing, as my teachers, I have two of them who have told me over and over, you have to practice. <laughs> so it doesn't matter how old you are. You can learn uh, an instrument or a language at any age, but you do have to practice. And I'd say it's a little harder the older you get.
3: Do you play any other, what instruments do you play, Tim, besides the guitar?
5: The guitar?
2: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but, I mean, is that segue
3: into mandolin, banjo, no, uh, string no, instruments? No, now?
5: no, no, I've fiddled around, uh, but, but, you good. know, I've decided to stay with one thing that I'm uh, fairly solid. you. Gotcha.
3: Um, and do you play anything besides the accordion? I play
0: a, uh, <laughs> I play, I can play rock, uh, punk rock bass. Okay. <laughs> I play, awesome.
4: I play harmonica. There we go. There um, we go. What do you call um six accordions at the bottom of a well? Good start. It's a start. <laughs> and that, I disagree. That could go. I disagree, I disagree too. I disagree too. I think accordions are awesome and you could say the same about, you know, harmonicas or banjos. And often we've had all three on yes. stage at the uh, same time and it's yes. just cacophonously yes. wonderful.
3: And bagpipes? Do you have an opinion on bagpipes? Love them. Okay. Pro, absolutely. Really? Okay, that's one of the more uh what negative feelings people have toward it.: Right. A
4: right. Um,
3: another question. I'm not sure what this means. Tim has a mastodon, and part of it is in the guitar he wrote, 13 years about. Can we hear that story?
5: Oh: We heard about the wood. Yeah. We heard about yes. the wood, and Grandpa's wood, the walnut back and sides. And two years after the tree went down. They were digging a drainage tile in the farm field, near where the tree went down. And the backhoe hit something really hard in the field. And Grandpa stopped the tractor and sent my dad and one of his brothers out to the barn to get some shovels. They said, see, Grandpa said, start digging. In two days, they had uncovered an entire mastodon skeleton
2: <laughs> in the farm
5: field outside of Auburn. Now, what do you do with the Mastodon skeleton? What do you do with the Mastodon skeleton? <laughs> you, 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 you call the museum. Thank you. Yes. Okay. And the museum in Chicago says, thank you very much, but we were just given a woolly mammoth. We don't have room for the Mastodon. <laughs> so Grandpa says it goes in the barn. <laughs> and it, it, it sat in the barn next to the boards for 60 years. And you went for the boards first? And... and <laughs> Here's the thing: On a guitar, you have a saddle and a nut, preferably made out of some kind of bone. And there was one of the tusks had a broken piece about six inches long. So we have Grandpa's mastodon in the guitar as well, in the saddle and the nut. That's the story.
3: Wow If he had struck oil, that would have been messy. <laughs> question Uh, Have any of your compositions been covered by a national or another national artist? Uh, Do you have aspirations for that to happen? Who would you like to do it? If so, who would you like to hear cover your music and who has
5: I will leave the uh, the um, the first part of the question to Jan? And I'll answer the the part that you didn't ask Um, (laughs) uh, There there are there are people that I don't know that have covered my songs is this like uh, random people there's, on YouTube? There's, no, there's a man down in Seymour that, that recorded Better Days, for oh. instance. And I just got a royalty check. Uh, uh-huh. And he cut uh, 200 copies of a CD with Better Days on it. Uh-huh. That's um, nine cents a CD that I get. You can do, you can do the math <laughs> for the gentleman oh, yeah. that, that recorded 200 CDs. Um, the, I, I am honored by um, a, a songwriter who is not well-known at all, but he is a national figure. He's kind of a cult songwriter. His name is Eric Taylor, and Eric Taylor was married to a gal you might have heard of named Nancy Griffith, oh, gotcha. um, and uh, many of Nancy's early songs were actually Eric Taylor's songs. He's an amazing um, songwriter. Yeah, and um, he is an amazing songwriter, mm-hmm. and he had only, over the many years he's, he's recorded, only recorded songs by Towns Van Zandt, uh, only two or three of them, and then all his own original material. And he cut, two albums ago, one of my songs. So that was a, that was a big honor. It was an honor,
4: yeah.
5: yeah. That was
3: great. Yeah. And you were going to answer another part of that? Uh, what, which part was I going who, to
5: who answer? Would you, who would you like to cover our songs?
4: I, I just like you covering Thank you, them, John. <laughs> that's the answer. Uh, I think yeah. nobody can sing them as well as you.
3: But the royalty checks would be nice if well, people Well, that's true, will. yeah. Uh, no complaint there. Uh, somebody asked, is Jason related to Lou? What would make you say that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, just because it's two white guys with glasses at the table yep. doesn't mean... Yep. No, we are not related no, at all. Me. I mean, we haven't like compared birthmarks or anything, but as far as we know, we are not related. Right. And we were related, but not to each other. Right. Yes. Um, <laughs> made no sense.
2: <laughs> i would with you, Lou Harry. You follow me.
3: Uh, to, if you could sing on stage with any other singer, who would it be? Who would you like to do that duet with?
5: Jan, you want to take that one for me? No. Uh, so I, I don't I, get in yeah, trouble? No, she's
3: going to get the same question. Okay, is she? Yeah. Ah,
5: okay. Um, who would I like to sing with? You
3: just got the call. Yeah. Uh, the Grammys need somebody well, to you, sing with. You know what who show... You
5: know, when this goes back to the question you asked me, what show would you like to do? Uh-huh. I would like to play... Hades in Hadestown.
4: Oh. Anais Mitchell's mm-hmm. musical. It is a, it is a new a, musical. A it's in London
5: now. It was off-Broadway. started with Greg Brown. Yeah, Greg the, Brown played uh, the part. Oh.
4: Early, early on.
5: Um, and so it's in London now. It's coming mm-hmm. to Broadway. It's coming, it's coming to Broadway. Uh, I would love to do that, and I would love to share the stage with Anais, Anais Mitchell. Mitchell. Okay. I would love you to see, you, share the stage Thank with you.
4: Anais Mitchell. And you? I, well, I have... a. Total crush on Jason Isbell, so I would just you know walk on stage with him and just like hang out, you know. Have your Lady Gaga do, moment yeah. in Stars. I would. Born. I I'm yeah. A, yeah, yeah. I did see him. Tim gave me tickets for Christmas, uh, and uh, that was a religious experience. Right. He's amazing. Hades town got me
3: thinking. Have you heard Randy
4: Newman's Faust? I have heard. It's really mm. difficult. Yeah,
3: <laughs> it would be a I challenge. Nobody here Randy has done Newman's that yet, Faust. but that would be interesting to see. Um, Jason, a question. Mm-hmm. This is presumptuous. They say we know. No, this person knows that you eat light bulbs. This person has seen you do it. I do. How I'm did probably. you get the idea to do it? And how do you learn to do it? Parenthetical, you goddamn wacko. Ah, oh, all
1: right.
0: <laughs> Here is. So here's. So I. Uh, uh, everyone has an obsession, and my obsession is sort of like the sideshow and circus. <laughs> And for years, I did a bed-of-nails act, which the trick to a bed-of-nails act is you have to lie on a bed-of-nails. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, and the same
1: is true,
0: and, and, and the other fun fact about the circus is uh, eating light bulbs is a classic geek act, and the geek okay. is, uh, is someone who was too dumb or too drunk to take tickets, and oh. so they, they let him eat the eat heads-off chickens, or eat light bulbs, or just generally eat stuff. And, um, what you have to know about it's it just like just like the other the other actors. You just have to do it. You have to work up the courage to put a light bulb in your mouth and bite and chew until you it turns. In, yes, what? you do. Does yeah, that kill you? No, it doesn't. Obviously, it doesn't. It
2: makes
0: you strong. excellent. That lady had the joke I wanted. <laughs> um, but uh, but what, what what you do is because it's very thin glass and you turn it into sand in your mouth. So, the trick of that trick is it's gross. <laughs> it's super gross, and you have to be willing to be gross. Mm. And that's,
3: that's And this it. was in your early career? No, no, no still do it do it do it? right now. No. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. no, no, no. no. Uh, right.
0: And my wife at the time and my daughter had gone out, and I had I had. had uh, uh, I had nothing to do. To, and I just, and I, there was a YouTube video on how to do it, and so I just, wow. I stared at it for a full half hour, and I'm just, <laughs> bit. As a
3: side note, one of Jason's projects a few years ago was a series that ran for a couple of, uh, couple a couple of year. segments, uh, almost a year, it was yeah. a year, called Face Your Fears, and he would get mm. talented folks locally, find out what they were most afraid of, and get them to do it on stage. Whoa. It was a, uh, it was, it was really a trip. Fun. Yeah, it was. Um, for Tim and Jan, are you in contact with your high school friends? And if so, how difficult was it to move to Chicago, LA, and back? How much has changed? Are you still connected to those people? That sort of thing. How do you connect it to the
4: people of your roots? Yeah. yeah. Next question. <laughs> well, I think, I think there's an answer there that you might want to talk about in terms of high school.
5: Yeah. 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 I would say. I mean, I'm just you know
4: conjecturing that perhaps one somebody you might have been on the speech team with maybe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, 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 well, I moved back? I moved back table. I
5: moved back to the, t- the town that I went to high school, so I live now in the town that I went to high school, and there are still some people that, that I run into, you know, that, that I haven't seen in years. There's some people that I get to, together with occasionally. And uh, Jen.
4: Well, Tim was on the speech team. With Mike Pence, oh. was, Mike? I have a question. Was he good?
5: Mike was second in, second in the state his senior year, Slick. and uh, he went to nationals. Um,
3: was he allowed and, to and compete what, one on one with a woman?
4: <laughs> he <laughs> <laughs> couldn't be in the same room with uh, just one on one with a woman. Them but what was <laughs> his category? Wasn't his category different than the category? Yes, were we were in were totally doing, different yes. categories. Explain, yeah, 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 please yeah. explain.
5: Yeah. Yes, oh, require, I yes, you, uh, yes.
0: Uh, so, you, I, I, I imagine his was some sort of oratory. Yes, it was yes. completely oratory. You seem like an, interpreter, an in Yes, I did Dramat- dramatic and humorous interpretation. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, so, I have a question for you. Yeah. Uh, if in his category. Yes. Could you beat him?
5: In his category?
0: Yeah. Could you beat him?
4: Yes, he could. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd, have yes. I'd have a shot. Uh, yeah. yes. I'd have a shot. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I'd have a shot. Yeah.
3: Good. Yeah. Tim Grimm for president. Yay! I was just going to say, I was just going to say the Grim Pence debate as a fringe show. Oh, Oh, that is a
0: really Uh, good idea.
4: The
3: Grim Reaper or Tim (laughs) Grimm? There you go. Um, Okay, that was the high school friends question. Um, Oh, somebody asked specifically about a song I mentioned. Did you really write Perfect Getaway in high school?
5: No. No. No.
3: Did you experience "Perfect Getaway"? No. In the race court? the
5: uh, uh, "Perfect Getaway," probably many of you don't know this song. In a nutshell, it is about a group of who's um, your uh, we don't use this phrase anymore, but in the song there who's your juvenile delinquents who um, get the idea to uh, steal a car out of a parking lot, and uh, they want to go to California, but they have a very poor sense of direction. <laughs> Uh, they, as I say in a song, they failed geography. Uh, so they end up in the course of the song going down to Nashville, Tennessee, going out to Jersey, um, and then ending up in Vermont. Uh, and this Written is, before GPS. This is, a, this is a partially true story. And I got the story from my mother who taught at a high school for kids who could not cut it in the public school system. And um, she came home and told me this, this, this story. You won't believe what happened. And, you know, I put pen to paper, and there it was. Um, and these were these were, you know, these were good kids, generally, you know, but but came from, you know, well, they came from from troubled yeah. and rough homes. And uh, I've had a couple of them actually come up to me in in years since, you know, and, and and ask about my mom, who was their teacher, and say that she made a big difference in their life. So uh, so the question is, did I write in high school? No. I didn't write in high school. I think I wrote that song. I was probably twelve late twenties, yeah. mid, mid, late
3: twenties. Um, we'd like to hear some more music. More music,
2: yeah. Yeah. if you will
3: indulge us. Tim Grimm and Jan Lucas, ladies Thank you. and gentlemen.
5: I come from these rolling hills. And my feet know the path I walked when I was a kid. I come from these rolling hills. And I remember bells of blue ringing in this land in voices old and new. I remember bells. I have moved through these golden fields With my lover by my side And the dog at our heels But this one I've come to fear Songs of joy turned to silence And hope turned into fear Winter will be hard this year Darkness rides a hungry beast Rides into the wind And never suffers peace It speaks a separate truth For anyone who seeks, darkness rides a hungry beast. And I feel like a stranger in this time. People living lives across a great divide. Half of them are laughing while the other half are crying. And I feel like a stranger in this time. A smile on your face some years from now and a simple twist of grace I can see a smile on your face and I come from these rolling hills where they hold a quiet heart and I know the way they feel I come from these hills. came from and then we moved across the border to Bartholomew. (laughs) Up the last black dog Across the field We saw the dirt They moved inside the hill And our boys were young When we first came here In the sands of time They don't stand still a list of dreams As long as my honor. Some were lost Forever gone Some just waiting light of dawn someone beaten back by the storm one two three a
1: little water a little rain
2: they
1: took the trees down there's so
5: much to change I guess we pray then we wait the water In a time of hard need He was big Sometimes me solitary Is the old pine tree He was devoted To you and me You he held his head As he lay on the cold front. We had no choice I had to leave. Grateful it was you Not me to
1: sleep on that cold concrete. One, two, three.
5: Little water, a little rain. They took the trees
2: down, there's
5: so much change. I guess we pray. knew I'd be out on the road. When we first came here all those years ago, hands on the wheel and thinking of home and all the little things I couldn't keep going wrong. But it's a life, who's to say, forget it, that thing.
1: A water, a little rain.
5: They took the trees down. But so much change. I guess we. Song,
4: yeah. We're gonna do a song um, that I wrote with uh, our son Jackson. We all worked on the Bicentennial Show, which was called Finding Home Indiana at 200. It was uh, the year before last. Some of you may have seen it. And in fact, um, yes, there were many Indiana writers who had pieces in that, and I actually wrote a, a piece about my uh, great ancestor, William Henry Harrison. I see that on the side of my mouth because the more I learned about him, I was like, oh my gosh, am I related to him? He was awful. (laughs) Um, You know, Many wonderful things, of course, but many awful things, as is the case with many of the events in history. And I have to hand it to Janet Allen at the helm of Indiana Repertory Theater for bringing both the light and the dark out for that um, amazing show. This is a song that did not make it into the show. It's called Finding Home.
5: You can look on a map Point with your finger, say here You can follow the highways The dirt roads and byways You can follow your job or your family. You can follow your heart. You can wander and wander and end up right back at the start.
4: And it may take a month
5: or a year or a
4: lifetime to know.
5: You may think you've arrived, then you realize it's time to go. A home is more than a house or a dot on a map. Machines and devices can't
4: find it, no it's not like that.
5: A wise person said, we're all walking each
1: other
2: home.
5: It's not just a building or a roof. It's the garden, the sandbox, the front porch, your grandmother's bed. It's that second hand rocker and the first kitchen table you own. It's the bedroom you painted and the front walk made out of old stone. The feeling,
4: the knowing Believing that you belong It's the
5: fire burning inside It's the sound of the song Sometimes it's history Gathered up old Sometimes it's shiny and new, and it brings you to tears. A wise person said, we're all walking
1: each other.
5: And supporting this 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 event,
4: Blue awesome. Harry
5: is getting real. Um, and he is real. And he is real. He gets real. Um, uh, thank you all in the uh, the live audience, and thank you out there in the uh, the web world. Um, I still haven't quite figured out that world, but um, I will one day. We're gonna do one more song for you. Uh, Thanks for letting us be a part of your evening. Yeah, thank and you so much,
4: Lou. This is awesome. And Jason, thank <laughs> yeah, really you. Cool. Uh,
5: you mentioned this song, and this was the this first song. This is our that song. Yeah. This is the
4: first song Tim wrote, coming back to Indiana. It's called Better Days.
5: Farmer Jim had the the bail- And I had the hands and had the time He was up into his seventies And I was in the middle of my prime. And I was bringing back my childhood He'd been doing this all his life Driving that old John Deere tractor Eating lunch brought by his wife. And they'd rest under our maples. And they'd tell me of their past. Lost a son and lost a grandson. One went slow and one went fast. And Ruth would tell me of the old. Men would go off to the fields And all the children and the women would
1: Hitch the team and drive them down to the woods And me, I'm trying to learn
5: the old ways Of the heart and of the land Of people growing old and family is working hand in hand. So I will watch and I will listen. The voice is cracked and faces worn with ages. But when they're gone, Lord knows I miss them. They give me hope for better days. Amos Chestnut is my neighbor And all his life an honest man Well I stepped up to his door a stranger And I walked away a newfound friend when he works out by the roadside People slow and wave a hand He watches life pass by his open farm But I don't know a richer man Cause he knows every creek and holler And every fence posted by Where the pawpaws grow, where the coyotes roam, where the dirt turns into sand.
1: Me, I'm trying to learn the old ways of the heart and of the land. People growing old together,
5: families working hand.
4: So I will watch and I
5: will listen The voices cracked and faces worn with age And when they're gone, Lord knows I'll miss them They give me hope for better days When they're gone, Lord knows we'll miss them They give us hope a better day Almost a better
2: day Thank you. <sighs>
3: <sighs> <sighs> Exhale. Exhale. I want to thank Tim Grimm and Jim Lucas for coming out this evening. Another round of applause. Thanks for having us. It. I want to thank Jason Adams for being here today. I want to thank producer Patrick Chastain and Miles Hall on sound.
4: Yes, on sound. Big
3: thanks to the management and staff of The Aristocrat. Uh, Yes, The
2: Aristocrat.
3: always put him. in some personal thanks. I want to thank Ann Berline and Lou Dacaglue who accompanied on my first Arlo Guthrie concert at Valley <laughs> Forge Music Fair. And to Cindy Harry who accompanied me to the Philadelphia Folk Festival. And she who appreciated the moment when a patron approached the merch table to buy a CD by the Roaches and said, do you have anything by the Rochers? We have been laughing about that ever since. So thank you, Cindy Harry. Uh, to everyone, who ever taught an old folk song to kids at a summer camp or a daycare center. And finally, to Melina Jensen and Mildred Day, who in 1939 invented the Rice Krispie Treat. Thank you all yeah. Wow. Yeah. for coming out this evening. Thank
1: you for that. Thanks
3: to the listeners of the podcast. Harry. Keep an open mind and an open heart, and we'll see you at the next show.
2: Ooh.